Well, hello. Good evening to you. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's um, message on our special Holy Week services, our special Holy Week messages that we're bringing to you this week every night at 8 o'clock. And I trust that these will enhance your celebration and enrich your celebration and your remembrance of Jesus and the finished work that he did on the cross for every one of us. So I welcome you as you're able to begin to join in. Um, I'm giving a few moments of time because I know some people it takes a little bit of time for you to get notified and then come on board. So I just want you to know that you're welcome uh, when you join in and I pray God blesses you during this Easter season, this resurrection time period when we as Christians focus on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And it is my desire that this series of messages will enhance that for you and that, that it will only add to what God has already shown you and, and has done for you and that it will cause you to even thank him all the more and appreciate all the more what he's done. Um, as we celebrate that during this time period. I'd like to begin with prayer over this lesson. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for the opportunity to share with others what you have entrusted to me and deposited in me. I thank you, Father, I'm unworthy as a spokesman for you, but God, I thank you that you can use imperfect people and you can help us and you can empower us to do what you call us to do. So I ask right now for your anointing to be upon me, Lord. I ask for it in Jesus' name. I ask that you will speak through me to the people, that you will be lifted high. Jesus will be lifted high and will draw men to himself and women and boys and girls. I pray that you will take this message and you will use it for your glory. And I thank you, Lord. I give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Welcome to you as you join in. God bless you. Well, tonight we're in lesson two of our special Holy Week series. And last night we talked about the, the triumphal entry, the ride in the rocks. Tonight we're going to look at Holy Crown and how the crown of thorns was foreshadowed in the Torah. God bless you. And I pray that this will be a blessing to you tonight. All right. Now, there are different kinds of crowns. Of course, we know that. There are royal crowns that have gemstones. And the day is coming when Jesus will appear wearing many types of royal crowns, many crowns like that, because he is king and he is coming back as conquering king. But tonight, we're going to look at a different crown, the crown that he wore when he came to this earth the first time. In the Gospels, we read about it. Three of the Gospel authors tell us about it. Matthew, Mark, and John, all three attest to the fact that Jesus took upon himself and wore a crown of thorns that was placed upon him. And I say he took it upon himself because he could have resisted it. He was the Lord of all eternity. He said he could have called down uh, legions of angels to deliver him. So he willingly accepted what they gave to him and what they were doing to him. 
but we're going to see tonight how God had a plan all along. So let's look at how and why this is true. Let's see how this cruel crown that was planted by evil men actually was a holy crown fulfilling a Torah symbolism. Oh, it's beautiful when we see that. I love how the Old Testament and the New Testament connect. And I love it when the Lord shows us things that, that come together so beautifully when, they, when that happens. So tonight, I want to begin reading in Psalm 132. And so if you want to turn there, you can. We're going to read a portion of that. We're not going to read the whole psalm. But Psalm 132 is one of the songs of ascents or songs of degrees, some of your Bible may say. There were 15 of them from Psalm 120 through Psalm 134. And these were sung and recited by Jewish people at least three times every year um, as they would go up for the pilgrimage feast for Passover and Unleavened Bread, for Pentecost, and for Tabernacles or Sukkot at the end of the year. They were also sung by the Levites, um, and, and uh, you know, they would have 15 steps leading up to the Nicanor Gate. And so there was um, singing and reciting of these even then. Psalm 132 is in the, in the listing of those songs of ascent. It is a song of ascent. It doesn't have a named author. David may have written it. We don't know. But it appears to me by the reading of it that it was written by someone other than David. It appears that they're remembering David, the writers of it. It also appears that they're remembering God's promises to David and Israel as if that was something of the past. But what we wanna look at today is Psalm 132, and I wanna read verses 13 through 18. Welcome as you join in. For the Lord has chosen Zion, he has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priest with salvation, and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. There, meaning in Zion or in Jerusalem, I will make the horn of David grow. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but upon himself his crown shall flourish. Now I was reading this through one day, um, some time ago, it's been several years ago, I believe now, and I got arrested by this final verse. And so I began to do some study and some research into it, and what I found was absolutely fascinating. This passage that I read you is speaking about some things about Zion or Jerusalem, God's chosen city, the place on earth that he put his name. And I found that the key in this passage that I want to really focus on is verses 17 and 18. Now, the horn of David is simply another reference to Messiah, the Messiah that would come. My anointed, anointed is the Messiah, the Mashiach, the one who was anointed and the coming one. So these verses speak easily and, and definitively about the coming Messiah in Jerusalem, 
the one who would come and who would be there. And so the promise that is given here for that Messiah is that he will grow, he would grow up. This could even speak about the fact that he's coming as a baby and as a child will be growing up. It means to grow up, to sprout. He would have a lamp prepared for him. He, he came on the scene and he said what? I am the light of the world. Paul calls the gospel a glorious, um, the glorious light. And so it says, too, that he would be clothed, he, his enemies, his enemies would be clothed with shame. Paul tells us in Colossians 2, 14 and 15, that at the cross, when Jesus But what really caught me that day and what arrested me that day, welcome as you come on board, was verse 18. Psalm 132, verse 18, speaks of how upon himself his crown will flourish. And so I remember one day I was reading that and I was arrested by that. And I had to, I had to stop and think, wait a minute, what crown did Jesus have? What is this talking about? And what could it mean? And so the Lord gave me some fascinating insights, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. At his second coming, we know he will wear a royal crown, the crown he deserves. But at his first coming, he didn't wear that kind of crown. According to the Gospels, he had a different kind of crown. It was a crown of thorns. Could the psalmist have been speaking of this crown of thorns? So I began to study this out, and now I want to share with you what the Lord showed me. The word crown used here is the Hebrew word netzer, same root as where the word Nazarite comes from. And it refers to the ornament on the head. It was a sign of dedication or consecration something set apart. The theological word book of the Old Testament says that this crown designated him a consecrated person. It was a sign of one's own consecration. Now, in the study of scripture, one of the things that, that we learn that is very helpful to us in the study of scripture and in keeping things in the realm of sound doctrine is what's called the law of first occurrence. And it simply tells us that the, the first time words are used in the scriptures can give us more insight into how they are used and what they mean or represent all through the scriptures. So when we apply that to the first time this word netzar is used, it is found in Exodus 29, actually. And so we're going to go there in just a moment. Exodus chapter eight, uh, 28 gives us details about specific garments that the high priest was to have and to wear, that none of the other priests were to wear. The, all the priests had four regular linen garments, and all the priests were to wear those. But there were four additional garments that were only for the high priest and those are given to us here in exodus chapter
chapter 28. It gives us the details about those garments. Now, each of these has significance, and it's beautiful to see how each one of these applies to Jesus Christ and points to Christ in his priestly ministry. And that I've done a separate study on, uh, not through videos at this time, but in live, in live sessions, I've taught garments of glory. And it may be something that we can address at some point. But there's one of these four high priestly garments that we want to understand tonight in reference to this crown that Jesus wore. It's critical to understand Netzer and its connection to Jesus in the New Testament when we see it here in Exodus. So, I want to begin reading in Exodus 29, and I want to read verses 1 through 9, and then I want to flip over to Leviticus chapter 8. So we're going to be in both of those places first. And then we're coming back to Exodus here um, in a moment. Exodus 29, and this is what you shall do to them, talking about Aaron and the priest, to hallow them for ministering to me as priest. Take one young bull and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil. You shall make them of wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket with the bull and the two rams. And Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. And then you shall take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron and the robe of the ephod, the ephod and the breastplate, and gird him with the intricately woven band of the ephod. You shall put the turban on his head and put the holy crown on his turban. And you shall take the anointing oil, pour it on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put tunics on them. And you shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and put the hats on them. The priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual statute, so you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. So we see that there's a specific thing that Moses had to do with them. And so we come over to Leviticus chapter 8, and we see, in beginning in verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him and the garments, the anointing oil, a bull as a sin offering, two rams and a basket of unleavened bread, and gather all the congregation together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was gathered together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, This is what the Lord commanded to be done. And so then it says, they brought, Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. He put the tunic on him, girded him with the sash, clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on him. And he girded him with the intricately woven band of the ephod and with it tied the ephod on him. Then he put the breastplate on him and he put the Urim and the Thummim in the breastplate and he put the turban on his head. Also on the turban on its front, he put the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord had commanded Moses. All right, now this doesn't make a whole lot of sense yet as to how it was a, would apply to Jesus but that's the fascinating part that we're getting into now. All right. Remember, these, this turban or this crown, this holy crown that would go on his head, was a part of the, um, the garments, the special garments that only the high priest could wear. 
All right, so let's talk about this mitre or this holy crown or holy plate and how it applies to Jesus. First of all, let's understand that as priest, Aaron was a type of Christ in the Old Testament. There were primarily three priesthoods mentioned throughout Scripture. The first one was the priesthood of Melchizedek back in Genesis chapter 14, I believe it is. Then there was the Aaronic priesthood or the Levitical priesthood described here in the Torah. And then there's the priesthood of Christ after the order of Melchizedek. And we're told that in Psalm 110. And in also Hebrews, it attests to that as well. So God had established Aaron's priesthood for several reasons. One was that Aaron was to be a type of Christ. Um, he was to point to and show us more about priestly ministry before God. And he also formed the basis or, or the, the priesthood that would service and serve as a temporary way of atonement, all the while pointing to the ultimate fulfillment that was coming in Jesus Christ. The ultimate and final priesthood is the priesthood of Christ after the order of Melchizedek, according to Psalm 110.4, which says, the Lord is speaking there, and he says that you are priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus became the priest, and we'll see where there was a transfer of priesthood from the Aaronic priesthood line to Christ in his ministry. All right, so Aaron operated as a type of Christ, now, Aaron had these special garments, holy garments. The one we're focusing on tonight is the turban or the holy crown. So let's look at how this was to be made, what, what God had to say about it, what were God's instructions for it, and what was its purpose. So that's what we want to look at tonight. In Exodus chapter 28, we find those details beginning in verse 36. It says this, You shall also make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it, like the engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord. And you shall put it on a blue cord, that it may be on the turban. It shall be on the front of the turban. So it shall be on Aaron's forehead, that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel hallow in all their holy gifts. And it shall always be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. All right, so here we find the instructions about this holy crown, this mitre, this special turban, this special crown that Aaron was to wear as high priest. So let's talk about the ways that this tells us some of the details. First of all, it was a plate, a burnished plate, and burnished means that it, it, was, it, was, it would be rubbed with friction to make it shine. It was polished to make it shine. It was made of pure gold. It had to be engraved on it, like the engraving of a signet. And a signet would establish a wearer's identity or position. And they would be able to take a signet and then um, put it, compress it, press it down into wax and it would form a signet emblem there in that wax, and it would leave a raised design. But it had to be this 
plate that Aaron had to wear had to have an engraving on it. And that literally means to cut into or to open wide, to carve into. This that was to be engraved in this was holiness to the Lord. What does that mean? Holiness simply means to be set apart as special, set apart for a special purpose, not like the rest, not common, but treated specially, something that was set apart for special use. And he was. it says it was to be holiness to the Lord was what was to be graved on there. This was set apart, someone that was set apart to God, to only God, and to, to Yahweh alone. This was a sign of consecration. It showed his separation and his devotion to God and to his service alone. It was connected to the, the regular linen turban that Aaron would be wearing with a blue cord. In the scriptures, blue can signify the Holy Spirit. And notice this, that the cord literally talked about it being laced or entwined. It's something that was twisted. This had to be placed, this plate with holiness to the Lord was placed on the front of the turban. It was visible and clearly seen and identified him as the high priest. It must be worn on his forehead. And there was a purpose for that. God told us right here. He was to wear it on his forehead for this purpose because he had to bear the iniquity or the crooked ways, the perversity, the evil, as well as the guilt for their sin and shame on him. He had to carry that. And this was a sign that he was carrying that and he was bearing that iniquity. This iniquity was of the responsibility of holy things. It was on behalf of the people. Aaron was wearing this on behalf of the people. And if we understand much about the priesthood, priestly service, in essence, a priest's job is he will, he will um, minister to God on behalf of the people, and he will minister to the people on behalf of God. And so Aaron was wearing this on behalf of the people and, in a sense, bearing their iniquity and their sin. This was to be always on his forehead when he was serving as high priest, continually, constantly. And the reason for that, the Lord tells us, is because the people were to be then accepted before the Lord. Accepted simply tells us that God was pleased with them. He was able to see them as having a good standing before him. See, see them in, with favor and with goodwill. They were acceptable to him. And this when it talks about it being before the Lord, in front of his very face, with his face shining, with his face shining upon them, or pleased with them. You remember in the Aaronic prayer and blessing found in Numbers chapter 6 at the end of that, that one of the petitions in that prayer is that God's face would shine upon them, meaning that they would be accepted before him. He wouldn't turn his face away from them, but his face would be toward them, shining, and he would be pleased with them. So this holy crown 
of Aaron is that same word that is used in Psalm 132, verse 18, speaking of the crown of Messiah that would flourish. So we know that Jesus Christ is Yeshua, the Messiah. We see that all through how the Old Testament and the New Testament connect. It's beautiful to see that and to understand it in even deeper ways, and I love it when the Lord is showing me those things. But now let's look at how this, this particular element from the Old Testament applies to Jesus. We know that, as we mentioned earlier, Psalm 110.4, and, and even is confirmed and quoted in Hebrews, telling us that Jesus is priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, not Aaron. Aaron shows us much of the priestly service before a holy God and was a type of Christ to point us to God. As a matter of fact, the word Torah means to give direction to or to point to something. It was designed to point us to Jesus. Even Paul brings that up when he talks about the, the law being a tutor that would lead us to Christ. So Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of it. There was a transfer of priesthood from the Aaronic line to Christ during his ministry. It happened early in his ministry. At about age 30, which according to the Old Testament was the age that priests would begin to serve in priestly duties. At about age 30, we read in the New Testament of where Jesus comes down to the River Jordan to a man who was baptizing there. This man was John the Baptist, or John the Immerser, the Jews would call him. And John, if you'll remember, was the son of Zacharias, who was a priest, possibly even, well, he was of Aaron's line, so he was able to be priest. As a matter of fact, both he uh, both Zacharias and Elizabeth were from the line of Aaron. And so John was the Aaronic line of priest, even though he wasn't functioning as priest in Israel. The Romans had come in, they had corrupted the office, they had taken an established Caiaphas there. So John the Baptist is ministering down by the River Jordan instead of as a priest in Jerusalem, but God knows that John is the legitimate line from Aaron that would still be priest. And so Jesus comes to John, and this is one of the reasons he says that the, we must fulfill all righteousness, because there had to be a transfer of priesthood, and that was accomplished here at the River Jordan. The priesthood was transferred. I want to read you a passage of scripture from the New Testament that tells us that this was done. And it proves this to us in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11 through 22, it says this, Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek, and not be called according to the order of Aaron. For the priesthood being changed 
Of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. So in other words, he's saying here that the priesthood had to be changed for Messiah because Messiah was coming from a different tribe. Messiah, we know Jesus was from the tribe of Judah, and he's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And nowhere in the Old Testament did the tribe of Judah serve as priests. So God is telling us here there had to be a, a change, a transfer of priesthood. So continuing on, verse 14, For it was evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, speaking of God the Father, testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling, annulling, annulling of the former commandment, because of its weakness and unprofitableness, for the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. So here, the author of Hebrews tells us that there was and had to be a transfer of priesthood from the line of Aaron to Jesus, who was coming from the tribe of Judah, but was going to be priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Praise God. So Christ has become priest forever. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, you can flip back over a page or two, and you'll see where he is called our great high priest. So we know that he has passed from, from uh, it's passed from the Aaronic line to the line of Christ, to Christ, who is after the order of Melchizedek. So this high priestly garment from the Old Testament points us to Jesus' priestly service. So let's see how. Let's look at it point by point from what Exodus 28 told us. First of all, it was a burnished plate. Jesus was clearly polished by friction. He certainly had friction. By the time he wore this crown of thorns, he had been spat on, he had been scourged, he had been ridiculed and rejected, he had been slapped, he had had all kinds of torture, he had had lies told about him, he had been accused falsely of blasphemy, he had had all kinds of trouble and all kinds of friction, but he came through shining. As a matter of fact, Paul says the message about Jesus is the glorious, is the light of the glorious gospel. Hebrews 1.3 also tells us that he is the brightness of God's glory when he came in the flesh. John even said in John chapter 1, and we beheld his glory. So Jesus fits that 
requirement as well, a burnished plate that was polished and shines brightly through that friction. Pure gold, this mitre, this holy crown in the Old Testament, had to be made of pure gold. That speaks of Christ's deity, that he was God in the flesh. The blue cord, we know that he was anointed even at his baptism, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit from his baptism forward. This crown, this holy mitre, this holy crown in the Old Testament had to be engraved. The crown of thorns was engraven on his head. It was carved into him. And when it, when those sharp claws, those sharp thorns, claws of the thorns, so to speak, went down into his head, it opened his skin up so that what was inside could come pouring forth. And that was his precious blood. He was engraven like a signet. It was a deep engraving. Those thorns came from a bush that had that bore very long thorns. They were very long and they were super sharp. So this was not an easy thing that happened to Jesus. He was carved into with this crown of thorns. They engraved his head with this crown of thorns by placing it on him. And then what they did is they took a reed and they took the reed and they beat it on him and they beat it into his head even more. So it went deep, it cut deep, it gushed out the blood and it was a very painful thing. I cannot even imagine the pain that he went through when this was engraven upon his head. The blue we've already said speaks of the Holy Spirit it was clearly visible, like being on the front of the turban, like the holy crown of the Old Testament was. It was clearly visible on his head for those who came by to see. It wasn't hidden. It was on his forehead. We know that they put it on his forehead and its purpose. This is where we get into the beautiful purpose of what the holy crown of the Old Testament was and how that connects with Jesus he was the priest at this cross when he comes out bearing this crown of thorns and he bears it through the cross. He was bearing the iniquity or the sin and evil of the world, not just of the people of Israel, but of the whole world. He was wearing our guilt and our shame. He was wearing our sin, our punishment. He was bearing that for our twisted and evil deeds, for the whole world, mine, yours, everyone's. And we know this to be true because of what the crown of thorns was made of. It was made of thorns. And the first time we see thorns in the scripture is in Genesis chapter three, verse 18. And it says this, <clears throat> It says in verse 17, I'll begin there. Then to Adam he said, Because you've heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. So in other words, before this happened, 
There weren't thorns. Thorns were a result of sin. Thorns represent the curse of sin. Jesus, the Bible tells us, became a curse for us and bore our curse for us. So that's what's happening here. He has taken our iniquity. He's bearing our curse. And the reason, he was taking it for these thorns, and he was doing it so that we could be accepted before the Lord. He took it upon himself. He had to continually wear this holy crown. Did you know that Jesus, even to this day, still very likely has the scars from this crown? Why do I say that? Because in John chapter 20, after Jesus rose from the dead and he came to his disciples, remember the eight days after his, his resurrection when Thomas was there and Thomas had said, oh, well, I'm not going to believe unless I see it, unless I see it with my own eyes and I put my hands here and I feel him and I touch him. And Jesus appears and he shows him the scars of his uh, hands and feet, shows him the scars of his side. If the scars from the nails and the scars from the sword were still evident and still a part of Jesus Christ's resurrected body, then I believe the exact same thing is true of the scars on his forehead. They were still there. Jesus always has that, and it's always on his head, just like the holy crown was designed to be for Aaron. In his resurrected body, it's still there because of its purpose that was designed in the Old Testament Torah. The result of Aaron's obedience in the, and the priest's obedience, the high priest who would wear this, was that the people were accepted before God in his face. That's talking about being restored to favor. Paul talks a lot about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and he calls it reconciliation. Reconciliation, that Jesus Christ came to reconcile the world back to God. Through his death, through taking on this crown, bearing the sins of the world, your sin, my sin, bearing our guilt and our shame and carrying it, letting himself be engraved upon to bear that on our behalf by him doing that. He has now made it so that we can be acceptable to God and we can be restored to favor with God. That is beautiful, beloved. That is beautiful to see that, that Jesus Christ did that for us. And now we can be restored to favor with God. Hallelujah. In the very presence of the Lord, in front of his face, and his face can shine upon us, and he can view us with his face forward, not turn his face away from us. Praise God. There's only one way to be reconciled and restored to favor with God. And it's because of our great high priest who wore the crown of thorns, Jesus of Nazareth, the only one worthy to wear that crown, the only one able to wear that crown. I don't believe any of us could have done it. 
but Jesus did it. It's as if here he is the persona of the gold plate, the one who is set apart to Yahweh. It's a beautiful picture. I'd love to read you this, quick, this quote real quick. David Levy writes in the tabernacle, Shadows of the Messiah, Messiah. This is a beautiful picture of the Lord's ministry. He did not wear the words holiness to the Lord, but he is the Holy Lord. I propose to you today, beloved, that Jesus' crown of thorns was pressed into his head, showing ownership of the curse of sin that he took upon himself and its consequences. He willingly wore it, according to John chapter 19, verse 5. He says that it, John tells us that he came out wearing. Matter of fact, let's look at that. John, 5, uh, John, excuse me, John 19, verse 5. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And we know that he wore it up Golgotha's hill. Jesus took it upon himself. He willingly wore it. He allowed them to put it on him. He could have said at any moment, one word. He could have said, snap. He could have said, I refuse it. He could have said anything like that. And he would have immediately had it off of him and been rescued from that. But he endured it. And he endured it because he knew his purpose in wearing that crown was so that he could bear our sin and our iniquity and that we could then, as a result, be accepted to God, be reconciled to God. He did it. He's the only one worthy to wear it. Just like in Revelation 5, when there was only a lamb and there was uh, they were looking all through heaven, all on the earth and all under the earth. And no one was found worthy. And then up comes the lamb that had been slain, that was now alive forevermore. Jesus, he was the one that was worthy through his blood. He paid the ransom for our sin. He was the one that bore in his own forehead the engraving set apart for Yahweh, set apart for for the Lord, set apart for Adonai. He was the one. Matthew 1.21 tells us his purpose was to save people from their sins. He was set apart from all of humanity to wear that beautiful crown because his purpose was to allow us to be able to be accepted by God and restored to favor. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now back to where we started. In Psalm 132, verse 18, the Lord showed me all of this in reference to understanding the crown that was spoken of there. But the prophetic word was that that crown, his crown would flourish. And beloved, I just want to leave you with this. Jesus' crown of thorns has flourished greatly. He restored 11 disciples, and from them, he grew the church. There were 120 in the upper room at Acts 2. There were 3,000 saved in that day, that one day. A few chapters later, there were 5,000 saved, 
and how many billions and billions and billions have been saved over the last 2,000 years. The prophetic word in Psalm 132, 18, in Psalm 132, verse 18, that prophetic word that Jesus' crown would flourish has definitely come to pass. The crown of thorns that was foreshadowed in the Old Testament, the high priest's mitre, the high priest's holy crown, it has flourished on Yeshua's head. Even though he had to take those long, sharp thorns, he did it for you and he did it for me. He did it because he was bearing all of our sin so that we could be accepted before God and restored to favor. And God could cause his face to shine upon us. What a beautiful crown of thorns he wore. From now on, maybe we can see it as a tremendously beautiful crown. And I pray that as you think this week about Jesus and about all that he's done for you, that this will enhance that for you and enrich your celebration this week and your remembrance of his great sacrifice and service on our behalf. I pray that this has been a blessing to you, and I trust that, that you will be blessed and that you will continue to grow in him. If you have not yet experienced what I just talked about, about being restored to favor with God, and you don't know that you stand in good standing before God, before his face. Beloved, you can tonight. You can settle that right here and right now. Wherever you are, you can call out to the Lord and you can ask him to forgive you of your sins. You can tell him how grateful you are that Jesus bore your sins and the curse of your sins on his own forehead in that day when he was bearing the cross for you and bearing the punishment of your sins. You can call out to him in sincere faith and repentance. Receive him today and you can also be found to be acceptable before God. And you can be tonight, this very time when you are watching this video, you can immediately get restored to favor with God. So I encourage you to do that right now, if that's you. And for those Christians who know the Lord, I pray that this has enriched you and has caused you to appreciate even more fully the beautiful crown of thorns that our Lord wore. May God bless you tonight. And join us again tomorrow night, again at eight o'clock. We will be looking into tomorrow night, the beauty of Goel, the beauty of redemption. I hope you can join us. Praise God. God bless you.